Made some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering. Heart of the Matter from Salt Lake City. We didn't rehearse that. That is a giant studio audience, and they just wanted to uh, hear their voices on TV. We welcome them. Listen, if you have family or friends who can't watch the show on television, have them go to www.bornagainmormon.com, go to streaming video, and they can see the show live from anywhere in the world. In the house tonight, we have Glenn, Mary Ellen, Nathan, June, Brandy, Blake, Tiffany, Jeff, Derek, Danita, Rick, Billy, Kevin, Corvin, Lydia, Derek, Nick, Jed, Robert, Klaus, Dan, Peter, Michelle, and I think there's been a few others who we welcome uh, here to the show. It's been great. Hey, will you say a prayer for us? Over the past several months, we have been getting hit with some radical stuff here at the Haunted Studio. Um, a number of months ago, the whole show got shut down, which has never happened before. And then a few weeks ago, our good friend and cameraman, uh, Michael, he had a seizure right here on the show. You remember that. And then lights have been running amok and uh, exploding. And two weeks ago, we had four power outages. And last week, we had an atomic bomb go off in the studio. In fact, they want to play this, so we're going to do it to show you what happened. Here we go. Run that. Listen, there is no way in the world the, the Lord God is going to ever cause Mormonism to fall in this state. Needless to say, our audience are all wearing helmets today. Uh, so uh, pray for us because uh, we're getting attacked. Of course, the LDS are writing me saying that God is causing these things to drop out of the sky on audience members, and uh, we think it happens to be the other side. So remember the first Monday of month, month we're going to be in uh, traveling around. This March 3rd, a Monday night, we're going to be in Tooele for the traveling pastor in the pub at Denny's. Uh, show up there about 6.30, and then those of you, the address is on the screen. If you want to be baptized, come to the Lord, publicly profess your faith, and be baptized in his name. We're going to do those thereafter, and we'll, we'll tell you where uh, we're going to do it. I also mentioned last week that we are not going to be holding an uh, official pastor in the pub weekly at Denny's on uh, 250 West 5th South in downtown Salt Lake City anymore. However, there are a number of faithful Christians, believers, even non-believers, who continue to congregate there. And uh, uh, Robert is one of them, and so is Micah and Celeste and these different people. Actually, there's a whole bunch of them. So 
we're gonna call it pastorless in the pub sometimes. And you can go on down there and it's a great group and they talk about the show and they talk about the Lord and you can talk about whatever you want. So still go down to 500 uh, South Denny's after the show if you're interested in that. Last week we had a caller named Harley from Kolob Canyon who corrected me on my English. He said that my use of the phrase categorically insipid was incorrect. <clears throat> Brother Harley, a well-spoken chap from the uh, Highlands of Scotland, it seems, uh, said I should have said that they are uncategorically insipid, to which I disagreed. After some research, I discovered that Brother Harley was wrong. <laughs> uh, the church is not uncategorically insipid, as this would make them insipid in every area or category, which they're not. Uh, only in certain categories, which would make them categorically insipid, and not uncategorically exhibit, but it's all right, Brother Harvey. Keep me uh, in check and, and call if you'd like again because we love your accent. Now, where Harley was wrong regarding my use of the English language, my good friend Sandra Tanner uh, emailed me with another correction I should consider, and when she speaks, I listen. Uh, she writes, uh, enjoyed the show, might want to use, uh, watch the use of the word formed or create in speaking of the process of intelligences becoming spirits formed or created are not accurate. There is a mother God because we are born as spirit children to heavenly parents. If God were just forming intelligences into spirits, he wouldn't have needed a wife. And then she wrote in a parenthetical reference, they never explain how intelligences get into the womb of heavenly mother. Uh, she then quotes from Milton R. Hunter, who writes, quote, through Gospel Through the Ages, page 98, we were begotten and born in the spirit world and grew to maturity in that realm. She also provides another quote, talking that uh, Joseph Smith taught this and that it is doctrine. And when Sandra Tanner speaks from utlm.org, uh, I listen and stand corrected on that area. All right, listen, speaking of Sandra Tanner, I Was a Born Again Mormon is available at all kinds of bookstores around, including UTLM, uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministry. It's also available at Christian Gifton Bible, Sam Weller's Downtown, Oasis Books in Logan, Calvary Chapel in Salt Lake City, and in Utah Valley, A Gift of Grace Christian Supply in Springville. We also just picked up a contract with a large retailer, and I'll announce that in a few weeks, who are going to be carrying the book. Naturally, you can get a copy from us at www.bornagainmormon.com. Now listen, if we send out the book for free to people who are uh, single parents, people who don't have a job, people who are disabled, people who have too many kids, they can't feed them, uh, all these situations we understand. We even send the book free to LDS people who find it uh, interesting and curious. They want to read it, but they don't want to pay for it because they think it's going to be supporting our ministry. Um, but if you can buy the book, please buy it from one of those retailers or from one of those places or ministries that offers the book because it helps support their, their business and it keeps the book uh, going and helps keep them in business and I, we just think it's good practice. However, if you're in one of those circumstances, you can't afford it or you, uh, you're a conscientious objector against I Was a Born Again Mormon, uh, email us or go to www.bornagainmormon.com and we can get one out to you for free. All right. Um, the Salt Lake Tribune reported, we had a call on this a while ago, and it's uh, BYU kicks out its best hitter. 
And uh, you know, there's a cost, there's a burden, there's an imprisonment when it comes to certain aspects of Mormonism, and this is one of them. An LDS bishop in Provo uh, says that the player had not attended church enough. Um, the guy's name was Kent Walton. Uh, still, his name is still Kent Walton, a junior from Yucaipa, California. He was BYU's best hitter of the season. His dad, Kenneth Walton, said his son did nothing immoral, illegal, or against the standards of the LDS church. Quote, it says, they said he didn't participate enough in the ward, hadn't been to church enough, and hadn't gone in and asked to have a calling. All this, quote, all the stake president would say was to the father, I hope you don't hurt your son by making a big issue out of this. Control, control. Uh, Walton said his son had 10 or 11 opportunities to go to church in Provo since classes started last fall and went six of those times. During the other Sundays, he was ill, attending church with a friend in Cedar City, attending church at home, or was at an LDS general conference. His roommate says uh, that he's been to church a bunch of times and, uh, and that it's, uh, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. They're make, making him an example of some sort. And it just goes to show you when, when religion crosses over, I know they have the right to do that, but I'm just exposing you to the control things that go on in that church. Uh, next thing, the PR machine is alive and well. And uh, I just wanna tell you, I've mentioned this before, Within the church, they have made public pronouncements that members should get out there and they should start defending publicly the church. And that is making members say all kinds of things that they personally believe which are not doctrine at all. And it's just mixing and muddling and creating this whole chaotic cloud. The people are just sitting back and going, well, they must be Christian, you know? They're defending this like mad, they're saying this. But it's really amazing, the internet, Blogs are covered with them. Uh, a BYU assistant associate professor named Eric Dursteller uh, wrote an article, Attacks on Islam, Mormonism Spring from the Same Dark Well. And he makes a comparison uh, that uh, the people who are speaking against Mormonism are just full of, of uh, these tactics that are hate-filled. They're using hate speech more and more. If you stand against Mormonism, you're filled with hate speech. And uh, they're trying to use that to cloak themselves and their ability to continue to perpetrate themselves as Christian uh, and, uh, and to be accepted in that manner. Just be careful, beware, because it's just gonna continue to get worse, the battles going on. We are teaching at Lord's Word in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 13, I came across this as I was preparing for next week's sermon. It says, Jesus said unto them, quote, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Meaning that the, a prophet, a true prophet, is not going to be honored in his own country or in his own house. That makes me ask the question, what does it mean if a prophet does receive honor in his own country, in his own neighborhood, and in his own house? Look at this billboard before we go on. That's right off 6th South in Salt Lake City, big as day. It fits right into the funeral services, the uh, days and days of planning, the news coverage, and the honor bestowed upon this man who, who it seems, was uh, uh, greatly honored in his own neighborhood, greatly honored in his own house. And I just wonder how that fits with the Lord's words that a prophet's not honored in his own house or in his own country. Okay, let's... Uh, 
One more thing. We got a great picture from the Family Home Evening Manual, page 126, talking about the creation of Christ. What this diagram has is Mr. and Mrs. Markham at the top. This is to teach families how Jesus came to be. It shows Mr. and Mrs. Markham at the top with a little plus sign between them. And down below, they've created Jenny. Then down below, you see Heavenly Father, not the Holy Spirit that, that the Scripture says, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, but Heavenly Father plus Mary equals Jesus. I guess you can take that how you want, but if you read the narrative and how it, well, how it describes that diagram there, it's very plain what the LDS teachings are regarding how Jesus was created here upon this earth and born. All right, I don't think we have much more, so let's go to a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you and praise your name. We ask your strength and blessings your angels to put a hedge around the station and in the station and let us run smoothly so that this message may get out to people who are searching and looking for truth may their eyes be open tonight lord may their uh, hearts be unclogged may their ears hear the importance of this message in jesus name amen i uh wrote prepared an entire message tonight that uh no matter how no matter how much i read it and tried to rework it. It just wasn't working. And so here in the 12th hour, I had to step back and reconfigure and kind of seek the Lord for inspiration about how to approach this. To date, starting the first of this year, we've talked about God. We've talked about his makeup, the Trinity. We've talked about the LDS idea of the preexistence and that God had a father who had a father who had a father. And we also talked about Satan and the war in heaven and how the LDS described that. So chronologically, we are ready to discuss the fall of Adam and how the LDS interpret this thing called the fall of Adam. And uh, I was going to cover, what I was going to cover first was going to take a while, but uh, I'm stepping back and covering something else. And so in light of that, I want to invite the phone lines to be open now. This is going to be a fairly short message, and so the operators can get going and getting the message, uh, the operator, the caller is cleared. So... Uh, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820, and we'll go for. And what I'm going to present to you tonight should be enough of a doctrinal shocker to cause anybody to step back and say, why do I believe this? This should shock you, just this little message about what we're talking about. I was aghast at the audacity of Joseph Smith and then the prophets after him who have taught this doctrine. The doctrine in and of itself relative to what the Bible teaches should serve as a wake up to you if you're searching. It should help you see that this thing is, is very, very troubling. In Genesis chapter 2 verses 10 through 15, we read talking about the Garden of Eden. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, which it is having encompassed the whole land, Havalaha, and there is gold. The gold of that land is good, and the bedellum is the onyx stone. Verse 13, and the name of the second river is Gihon, which is the Nile River, the same as that encompasses the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekel, which is the Tigris River, it is that which goeth toward the east of Syria, 
and the fourth river is the Euphrates. So with those descriptions all the way back in the book of Genesis, we have a description of a river that comes out of Eden, and then we have the four rivers that break off, and we know from that description where the Garden of Eden was, all right? Simply put, any Bible-believing Christian on earth believes these verses to mean that the Garden of Eden was in Iraq. That's, what it's, that's where its location was, all right? Then, in one of the bold, most bold moves of twistianity, Joseph Smith did the unthinkable. He did the downright comical, and he claimed that the Garden of Eden was in Missouri. Fawn Brody described how this teaching came to be. Listen to this. Quote, Shortly after his arrival to this area, Joseph rode up the Grand River to Lyman White's Ferry to explore the land on the north bank of the Davies County, Missouri. On a high bluff overlooking the river, someone in the party discovered the ruins of what seemed to be an altar and excitedly led the prophet to it. After examining it, Joseph stood silent, his eyes sweeping over the prairie that rolled away beneath him. The glory of the scene made Joseph heady with a, as with new wine. Quote, this is the valley of God in which Adam blessed his children, he said. And upon this very altar, Adam himself offered up sacrifices to Jehovah and will lay out a city which shall be called Adam on Diamond. Here Adam, the Ancient of Days, shall come and visit his people. That's from No Man Knows My History. In the Journal of Discourses, Heber C. Kimball said, The spot chosen for the Garden of Eden was Jackson County in the state of Missouri, where independence now stands. It is occupied in the morn of creation by Adam and his associates, who came with him for the express purpose of peopling this earth. Brigham Young said, In the beginning and after the earth was forprepared for man, the Lord commenced his work upon what is called the American continent, where the Garden of Eden was made. In the days of Noah, in the days of boating the ark, he took the people to another part of the earth. So what, he's, what they're saying here, this is their claim, is that God established, forget the Tigris, forget the Euphrates, forget Ethiopia, forget all that stuff, and just trust Joseph, who said it happened in Missouri. And that uh, the Garden of Eden was there, and Adam was kicked out of the garden, uh, and he began to populate the earth with Cain and Abel and everybody else. And then when the flood came, Noah built an ark, probably floated down the Missouri at first, maybe, I don't know where, down to the Gulf of Mexico, traveled across the Atlantic Ocean, landed in the Old World, and that is where the, they repopulated the earth, and the Bible account now comes forth. This is absolutely true. This is the teaching of this church that you're saying is true. It's incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible. Joseph got people to believe that golden plates and ancient record were buried near his house in a hill. He got away with that one. He had people following and believe it. So he, he had no problem telling them that the Garden of Eden was in Missouri and they bought into that one too. I mean, if you can buy into all this stuff, he, I, I honestly believe that Joseph, he wanted to see how far he could push it. He probably laughed himself to sleep at night. He probably said, what can I say where they won't believe me? What can I say? And, and this is the, the context. McConkie wrote, Oh, this is just uh, tremendous. Listen to this. Apparently, the area, talking about Adam on Diamond, was a large one. 
At least the revelations speak of the land, the valley, the mountains of Adam on Diamond. They tell us that Christ himself established the foundations of Adam on Diamond and that it and that it included the place now known as Spring Hill, Davis County, Missouri. Well, that isn't the funny part. But anyway, uh, what he's saying is Adam on Diamond was the place where Adam lived. He was kicked out of the garden. If you go east to where the Garden of Eden was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they believe it was a place called Spring Hill. You know, they've Americanized the Bible. They made it their own, and, uh, and on they go. So uh, speaking to Orson Hyde, a couple more quotes, and we'll go on. He, uh, Brigham Young said, You have been both to Jerusalem and Zion and seen both. I have not seen either, for I have never been to Jackson County. Now it is a pleasant thing to think of and to know where the Garden of Eden was. Did you ever think of it? I do not think many do, for in Jackson County was the Garden of Eden. Joseph had declared this, and I am as much bound to believe that, he, that as to believe that Joseph was a prophet of God. Okay? So how did the Bible peoples get to the Eastern world where all the archaeological events happens? I don't know if there's a quote about it except for the one I just read. But uh, they do believe that they came from that uh, uh, North American continent. They traveled by Noah's Ark, and then they went and they established the peoples uh, and broke out across the land there. This is a preface to next week's discussion, which is going to be two parts of three about the fall. Now we have Adam and Eve. Of course, they believe he was in Missouri. We know where they were, and they're going to talk about the biblical comparisons, about what the Bible teaches happened with the fall, and what the uh, LDS Church teaches relative to the fall. Let's go to the phones. We're going to John in Layton. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. A couple of three weeks ago, you had an email or somebody asked a question about the revisions in the Book of Mormon when it was changed from a novel form to its current form. Yeah. Uh, give me a minute to read this real quickly for you. Copyright 1948 by George Albert Smith. Trustee in Trust for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Salt Lake City, Utah, USA. First, first English edition published, 1830. First issued and divided into chapters, verses, and re revised references by Orson Pratt, 1879. Wow. First issued in double column pages. Chapters with headings, chronological data, revised verses, footnotes and passages, revised references and pronunciation vocabularies and indexed in 1920. 1920. And anyone that wants to check that reference, it was taken out of a 1950 copy of the Book of Mormon. Wow. Excellent research. Very good, John. I really appreciate that. Now, I have a question that I would like answered. Yes, sir. All right. If the Mormons pray to a different Christ than I pray to, I would like one of them musky clam diggers or Alan or one of your more intelligent listeners to call in and answer that question for me. Well, uh, what's the question? If they pray to a different Jesus than you do? Yes. Okay, well, we throw... Well, Hinckley said several times he prays to a different Jesus than I do. Yes, he did, and he was, he was strong on that point. I would like to know who it is. And then maybe one of these musky clam diggers that bug you all the time has an answer. <laughs> all right, my friend, we, we throw that out to you LDS callers. We open it up to call back and answer that question specifically. What, what Jesus do you pray to? Do you pray to the same one John prays to, or do you pray to your own? Very good, my friend. Yeah, I pray to the same one that's found in the New Testament of the Bible. Praise God. Thanks, John. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
All right, we're going to Trent and Cottonwood Heights, and we got to drop the musty clam digger. I mean, <laughs> uh, Trent, you're on the air. Yeah. Hey, how's it, how's it going, Trent? Pretty good. Good. What's what's your question or comment? Um, I was just gonna say how much I appreciate his show. Hey, thanks, Trent. This you're on the air. Okay. So you uh, um, and how often do you watch? Well. Uh, I watch it like every night I can. <laughs> oh, very good. And what? How old are you? I'm 12. Uh huh. And you go to church? Uh, yes. Where do you go? What? Where? What church do you attend? Um, Good Shepherd. What city? Layton? Cottonwood Heights. Uh, yeah. Sandy. Well, that's awesome, my friend. I look forward to seeing how the Lord works in your life as you grow older. Um. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks for calling. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. I'm not convinced Trent knew he was on the air. <laughs> All right, we're going to Ann in Logan. Ann, you're on Heart of the Matter. Well, hello, Sean. Hello, Ann. I want to know something. Are you agreeing with that lady that called a while ago and said that uh, we have a mother in heaven and we were conceived in heaven before we came here to earth? No, I am not agreeing with that whatsoever, Ann. Well, it sounded like you were, and now that really upset me when I heard that. I thought, surely to God, you, that you wasn't agreeing with that. No, 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 not at all, Ann. I, uh, you probably, I probably uh, skipped a few words or something, and yeah, no, absolutely not, no. Well, you said, you know, you always listen to her because uh, uh, she always told it like it was or something. Oh, oh, well, that was Sandra Tanner, and all Sandra was doing was, uh, actually, she was correcting me. I had said that God took the intelligences and formed them or created these intelligences. And first of all, the intelligent things is a fable. But she was just correcting me on what Mormon doctrine truly was. And that is that God the Father and Mother in Heaven had relationship where somehow they created spirit children within Mother in Heaven and then she gave birth to them, which must have been a very easy birth. But uh, that's, how, that's all we know. Well, good. You you don't believe we have a mother in heaven, then? No, Ann, no. Well, okay, then. All right, my friend. Well, I wanna, that's what I want to know. Okay, you take care. All righty. Okay, bye-bye. Listen, we have an email from a man named Craig B. He says, Sean, throughout 52 years as a Mormon, I've never been able to truly relate to Christ. I've always thought that there was something wrong with me. You said something last week that finally clicked in my head. It's the elder brother thing. It has never made sense to me. I've already got one of those, he's a good guy, but he's not God types of attitudes. Within minutes of letting go of that screwed up little piece of theology, he became real to me in a way that I've never felt before. I get a little cho choked up now, even just remembering the experience. It was like walking out of, a, out of the dark and finding that you are surrounded by the most beautiful mountain landscape imaginable. Uh, that is a beautiful uh, email, uh, Craig. God bless you, and I'm glad that uh, that helped for you to understand who he really was. We have Lauren in Orem. Lauren, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, listen, um, your talk earlier about when you were talking about where the Garden of Eden was. Yes. Um, the only thing is, is after the flood, those rivers would have changed their um, position. And like a lot of people, when they come to a new country or a new place, they use the same names they're familiar with. 
you know, like New Amsterdam and New Amsterdam and New York and things like that. Okay. So um, while we know where those rivers are today, the Euphrates and the Tigris and things like that, we don't know what, where they were pre-flood, although I certainly agree it's somewhere in the Middle East. Oh, I see. Actually, I don't know. <laughs> so you don't think that uh, what you're saying is possibly that the statement that it's in Iraq could be wrong? Oh, definitely. Yeah. We, we don't know exactly where it was because the tributaries have changed. Right. But we, but you would agree that it is not on the American, North American continent. Praise God, definitely not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm an evangelical Christian, and I definitely believe that it's somewhere in the Middle East, most likely near Iraq, Iran, Israel, that whole area, yeah. because that's where everybody is from. I yeah. mean, that's where to see the God landed it, yeah. you know, on the Mount of uh, Ararat. So. Yeah. Hey, that's a great call. Thank you. I think that clarification is, is a good one. Yeah, I stand yeah. corrected on that. Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay, God bless you, Sean. Bye-bye. God, God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Stretch uh, in Payson. Stretch, you're a first-time call. You're on the air. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Hey, I just had a question. I'm uh, still new and learning. I've uh, actually been studying uh, Chip Thompson's The Mormon Scrapbook, and I just had a question. I understand that the LDS, how they do not believe that the Bible is translated correctly. However, uh, in my mailbox on a uh, monthly basis, I get the word newsletter where they're quoting the Bible. Can you uh, give me some insight on, if they don't believe it's translated correctly, why they would use it in their newsletter? Wow. Uh, there, there are probably uh, innumerable reasons why they use the Bible, but most of it is to get you to believe that they... Um, that they hold it in the same esteem and because if they categorically just stepped out and told you or uncategorically stepped out and told you that it wasn't translated correctly they would lose a large part of the part of the interested audience so they hold the bible as one of their standard works they put it up there with on the shelf with the other four but they and they use that constantly on their on their television commercials and they're giving bibles away like oh we're christian we're christian but bottom line when they study the Bible in their weekly study, uh, one, once, one out of every four years they'll spend on the Bible. It is teaching Mormonism through the Bible, and it is just going through, and it is barely touching it. They will use the passages that support their views from the Bible. They will not teach it contextually or entirely. And uh, any, any verse that will challenge Mormonism's doctrine, they will say was translated incorrectly. So... What they'll do is when they send out something like the Ward Newsletter, they'll use passages from the Bible that agree with their doctrine, and it makes it look it all sound and good. The problem is you're not getting the full picture. Great. And one other thing is, do you know whenever they changed in the, the preface as far as uh, them being saying Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one eternal God? I've looked at a couple later editions, and it's, it's not in there, so I didn't know if... Uh, there was a date when that was changed or not? Oh, I, uh, you know, in the Book of Mormon I have, and uh, I walked in 2001, uh, it still has that the Father, uh, uh, Son, and Holy Ghost are one eternal God in the preface. Uh, so the new ones have changed that? Uh, the one I looked at just here recently did not have it, so I didn't know if I was just not looking in the right area or... or... No. Uh, I'll have to check that out. I'll uh, get our uh, research team on it, who's me, and uh, we'll go and find out what's going on with that. All right. I appreciate your, your call. Your hey, time. Stretch, I love your name. Are you a baseball player? Uh, no. A friend of Tom and uh, Desiree, though. What's that? 
a friend of Tom and Desiree. Oh, oh, awesome. Tell them hi and give them my love. All right, thanks, Sean. Bye-bye. Okay, friend of Tom and Desiree. All right, uh, we have Miguel from West Valley City. Let me read another email. Um, there's a polygamous group called the Kingstons on MySpace, and there seem to be dis disgruntled ex-members who have posted your show on MySpace to give the Kingston followers an alternative. There's approximately 3,000 members of this cult, so I think your audience just grew overnight. I think you're doing a great job. Listen, Kingston family, uh, welcome. Keep tuning in, and if you ever want to get together, I would love to have all, we'll have a show where we bring all the ex, -King I don't know if you do that for fear of your life, but if we bring all the ex-Kingstons up here and we talk about what it's like to live in Joseph's polygamy, it would be a great show. So if someone wants to email me, maybe we can set that up. All right. Uh, and I'm amazed the lights haven't fallen from the ceiling on that one. Let's go to Miguel. Miguel from West Valley City. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going, man? Hey, are you doing all right? How are you? I'm doing good. Um, first of all, I just want to say, you know, I didn't call them to let, you know, make fun of my dad or nothing. I love my dad. My dad's a very, very intelligent man, and he's uh, got a lot of wisdom. But that's, that's what makes me, sh you know, shake my head or scratch my head sometimes is because he... Uh, he comes up with some really unbelievable statements. Um, he's Mormon, yeah. and, you know, I, I love him. I mean, he's great. But the other day he said, uh, I noticed he, he wrote something down on a piece of paper, and I kind of read it, and then he came out later, and he said, uh, yeah, we should be thankful to Adam, you know, for, for the fall. And I'm like, <laughs> why would we be thankful to Adam? You know, it, it, it's, it's, again, it's, it's man worship, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, we should be thankful to Jesus. But, but anyway, I asked him, I go, I already know what he's going to say. I, I go, Dad, I, I know why. Cause, because if, if Adam wouldn't have fallen, then we wouldn't be here, right? We wouldn't procreate, and um, we wouldn't progress. Basically, that's what it is, is they believe that there wouldn't be any progression if Adam wouldn't have fallen. That Adam had to fall so that we can progress to a higher, you know, to, to like Godhood or whatever. That's right. Um, how do you answer something like something like that? The next two or three shows are going to be all about that, Miguel. And in fact, we were going to start into that tonight, but I thought it was important to, to hear where the LDS have taught where the Garden of Eden was. And now next week, we're going to talk about the fall and how uh, the LDS view of it is absolutely contradictory to the biblical view. And uh, we're going to dissect all those teachings. So if you can put off for one week, it would really be good. I just want to say one thing right now, if I could. Yeah. I will challenge any Mormon out there right now, anybody, uh, even the apostles of the Mormon church right now, call up and to and to defend that statement if they can defend that if they can show biblical anything or even any any kind of um intel intelligent remark to that if they if they can call up and and defend that i would love to hear it all right miguel thanks so much for the throwdown lds okay. viewers you're you're welcome to call all right thanks so much man god bless god bless you two throwdowns tonight two LDS callers. Melissa, first time caller, uh, line three. Gone. James on line two. James, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Hey, uh, I just have a couple of questions for the LDS view viewers. Um, <laughs> explain a little bit about masonry and who <coughs> masons worship. And the second question is, what's the difference between God and the LDS church? and Christianity, and Jesus in the LDS Church and Christianity, and I'll hang up and listen to your answer. Okay, so uh, repeat to me on the masonry one. What is it? 
yeah, what is masonry, and who who do, do masons worship? Okay. And the second one would be the differences between God in the LDS Church and God in Christianity and Jesus in the LDS Church and Jesus in Christianity. Just the light stuff tonight, huh? Yep. Uh, all right, James, thanks so much. All right, bud. Thank bye you. All right, bye-bye. Uh, as far as masonry, uh, first of all, let me preface it by saying just go to www.utlm.org and you just type in, you can do a search or look under their topical index under masonry and you will just get inundated inundated with the with the similarities the theft the plagiarism from masonry into mormonism it's phenomenal and just educate yourself but bottom line in my opinion from what i've read and studied masonry is more of a social organization uh mormonism borrowed heavily from that that's why they're such a social oriented group and masonry doesn't really that g in their rings they say is supposed to represent god but that's supposed to be kind of a code word because often they don't even view God in the same way. They, they, some people say that G means government. It's a social club. That's really what it is today. And it's not a religion. So it's bringing God into it really doesn't have that much. Now, Masons are going to get mad and say, oh, we do. But it really isn't. It really, from everything that I've seen and read, I've been to Masonic halls. I've read books on it. I don't think there's a comparison. The difference between uh, Mormon's version of God and the Christian version of God is bottom line, when we get to the bottom basics, Mormonism is polytheistic. They believe in many gods, all right? Christianity believes in one God, one God alone, composed of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Uh, the great Shema, Deuteronomy 5.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Christians believe that, and they believe Jesus was God in the flesh manifested. Uh, LDS do not believe that. They believe not only that God is, uh, the Father is separate and distinct in a physical body from God, the son, from the Son and from the Holy Spirit. They also believe in an eternal regression of gods where the Father had a Father who had a Father had a Father. And they also believe that they will become gods. So they believe going out this way, the gods will continue. So they are purely polytheistic, which all the heathen nations have always been. And that's the major disclaimer between uh, Mormons saying we are Christian and Christians saying you're not. All right? And as far as Jesus goes... The comparatives are, are, are endless. The, the similarity is they believe there was a person named Jesus. They do believe that this person came. He was the son of God, and they believe that he atoned for sin, that he died for sin. That's about where the similarities end, because where he atoned for them, how he atoned for them, who he was, where he came from, where he went, what he will be, all those things are different, okay? So those are the similarities and differences in a nutshell between the two. We're going to uh, Diana and Sandy. Uh, Diana, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. I have another inquiry for LDS people. Um, I know that they believe in the Bible as far as it's translated. And I would like to know what Bible verses are not translated correctly, according to them. And if Joseph Smith translated the Bible, then what gives? Yeah. And I'll get off the phone. Great question, Diana. Thank you. Okay, so LDS, the third throwdown. This is throwdown night. And it's a great thing for if you're Christian and the missionaries come and you're starting to quote from the Bible and they say, well, you know, and they throw out finally, you really can't trust it, then this is a great line. Listen, you tell me what verses that we can't trust 
and we just will avoid those and we'll read the rest of it and see what you think. And you know, they're just, I don't know which ones they are. And, and Joseph, he did a, a, a translation of the Bible. The LDS don't use it because it's riddled with error. And so, and he, how did he do the translation? Did he go back to the oldest manuscripts? Did he use his, lang his language skills in Greek and Hebrew? Uh, no, he didn't have those language skills. And no, he didn't look at manuscripts. He received the translations from his mind, the same place where he got the location of the Garden of Eden, the same place where he got the location of the Golden Plates, the same place where he received the revelation on polygamy. It's from his mind, all right? Uh, we are going to Tim, first-time caller in Ogden. Tim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hi. Tim, turn down your TV. Uh, yeah, hello? Hi, Tim. Hi. Yeah, um, concerning, uh, you were saying Joseph Smith, he was out there in uh, Missouri, and he said this was like Eden? Not like Eden. He said the Garden of Eden was in Missouri. Um, do you think he might have been uh, just speaking in the spirit more or less and just saying like uh, as Adam would have looked out, you know, after he had gotten kicked out of the garden and, you know, Adam was looking out saying this is all new beginnings and, and everything and that's basically what he might have meant and everyone else had taken, uh, you know, the wrong view of what he was saying. Well, uh, you know, that, um, so what you're saying, just so clarification for the audience, it would be like me going to Hawaii for the first time and saying, this is like the Garden of Eden, something like that? Yeah, basically, you know, yeah. because everything, because when he was looking out, he had no, you know, awareness of, of where they were going with their future and everything. So to him, it was like a, um, a symbolic thing, you know, yeah. or a spiritual matter. You yeah, know, a personal thing. Yeah, the the problem with that is multifold, but it's a good thought. At least you bring that out. One is uh, leaders who knew Joseph personally, like Brigham Young, Orson Pratt, um, and others who knew him well through his writings and teachings, all support the idea that he said the Garden of Eden was at this location, and that where Adam grew up with his family after being kicked out was east of that location in a place called Adam on Diamond, and Joseph Smith himself said this is where Adam and Eve were actually were. So it wasn't figurative language. Additionally, LDS believe that there's going to be a regathering there at that spot, and that Adam is going to take in the keys of the priesthood that all the LDS members have, and he's going to turn them to Christ for Christ to be able to rule and reign over the earth again, and that's a future prophecy of Joseph's that is going to occur in that place. So so he wasn't being figurative in his speech when he said that. He was being literal, and he meant it. Oh, so um, so basically that that was uh, documented as what he was saying, or yeah, absolutely. Go to utlm.org if you want to get more information because it's all there. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you for calling. Yeah, I wanted to get that clarified. Thanks. Okay, bye bye. We have a, a, a question here from Andrew B., a Utah Christian, who was uh, complaining about the American flag at the uh, Capitol building and other state uh, buildings being lowered to half-mast when Gordon B. Hinckley passed away. And uh, I want you to know that uh, there is kind of a uh, pro forma for when flags can be lowered at federal building and state buildings uh, for the passing of a leader. And those rules are broken all over the place 
by everybody. Um, in Arizona, a, a female soldier was killed in battle, um, but it was a ba it was a battle that uh, had nothing to do with warfare. It was something like a truck ran her over, and they lowered it to half mass. George Bush, I think uh, the old George Bush, when the Pope died, lowered uh, had all the federal buildings low lower the flag to half mass. So. Um, I understand the complaint, and it looks that way, but to be fair and to put it out there, there's really no rhyme or reason. I would imagine that if uh, Britney Spears died, they, somebody might suggest it, and some state could probably do it, like California. So uh, anyway, uh, there we go. Stephanie and Murray, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, uh, Sean, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing quite well. Guess what? Me and Terry did get married. But we got married on Halloween Day. <laughs> what a nightmare. <laughs> we just could not wait. It was just, uh, you know, we, we were so much in love and everything, and we, and we decided that would probably be a best day. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. You have a question, Stephanie? Hey, uh, did you ever study upon um, the, the history upon angels, upon uh, where, where it says that man and angels didn't mate, and apparently... God was upset with that, and they just, and God destroyed that yeah. part of the little thing. And I don't know why the LDS religion doesn't it just denies it. Just denies it. It just doesn't seem right. You know what I mean? I don't know. Uh what they say about that passage that the sons of uh, men and the the sons of sons of God and the daughters of men uh, cohabitate or uh, had had relations. I'm not sure what the LDS stance on, and I know that that is a very vague and difficult passage in the scripture to understand truly what that means. And there's been a lot of different interpretations on what that is. So, but I don't remember the LDS ever even touching that one because there's nothing in LDS. Uh, history or teachings where angels come and have relationships with uh, men or men or women mm -hmm. um, uh, that I can think of. Yeah, but it does seem like it. They uh, deny most of the histories upon angels, and I've been studying a, a book upon hope and peace, and it's from, from a king, from a king, you know, that's, that's the last name of the, of the book, you know, yeah. paperbacks, but it does have passages in the Bible does not have any passages in the Book of Mormon at all, so. Well, good good point, Stephanie. I really appreciate the call. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Congratulations on your marriage. Uh, Sandra from Boise, Idaho. Sandra, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Sandra? Hi. Hey, uh, Sean, I want to say thanks. I got your book in the mail. Oh, good. I got a question for you, and I'll, I'll hang up so you can answer it um, on the air. Um. What um, what are Mormon doctrines on homosexuality, and have they changed their rules accordingly? And if so, who would they be sealed to in order to get to that third level of heaven? Okay. Uh, I'll answer it off the air. Okay, great. Okay. Thanks. All right, thank you. Um, this is, the, this is the, uh, the teaching homosexuality is a sin. Uh, being a homosexual is not a sin. Meaning, you don't. If you don't practice homosexual acts, you're okay in the LDS Church. Um, they uh, they allow homosexuals to be in their wards and things. Of course, you're going to have, um, and they work with you. They will work with people on different things. But uh, as far as 
policy and the way things are going, they have become more open with homosexuals and they're reaching out more to try to embrace them. And, um, and that has come just by uh, virtue of the talks that have been given and uh, things like that. They fought strongly in California against homosexual marriage and they fought strongly in other areas of the world against uh, marriage and homosexuals. Uh, a homosexual cannot be sealed in an LDS temple to one of their mates. Um, and uh, also, but the promise to parents of homosexuals is that if the parents remain worthy to their temple covenants, then uh, that son or daughter will be sealed to them uh, in the celestial kingdom later on in the eternities. So that's kind of the stance of the LDS church. I personally, side issue, my, just my opinion, but I believe you're going to see the LDS church with Thomas Monson now starting to, and I think you're going to see Thomas Monson doing more and more of this. We are a worldwide church. We're a worldwide church. I think that's going to be his mantra, and I believe that with that, you're going to see more and more coddling and more and more embracing of certain lifestyles that have otherwise been anathema. So uh, something to consider there. Listen, we have Ray and Ogden. Before we go to him, I want to read a quick email. Uh, let me see here. Uh, this says, my name is Sarah. I was channel surfing. There are a few things I want to share with you. First of all, I was raised LDS. I'm not a Mormon any longer, but my family is, and I respect them for their convictions. I think it is good to be outspoken and daring, but there is a time and place. I'm not saying this to be rude. I just want to express myself. I am a bisexual 24-year-old and enjoy life to the fullest. It's a lifestyle the Mormon religion is against, but it doesn't mean I feel the need to publicize distaste for them. I disagree with a lot of their principles, and sometimes it's annoying living in a Mormon state, like the liquor store closing at 10. Sarah, it sounds like you need some help. Uh, and I've had my fair share of negative experiences with Mormons, and that made me wonder if you might have had bad experiences too. I've been ridiculed, looked down upon, and even sexually assaulted by church members. But that does not reflect the religion itself. It is a personal thing, a choice. I believe that if we are truly nice people and do the best we can, we will eventually get to heaven. I noticed that your show broadcast only a few days after President Hinckley's death. Even if you don't believe in their religion, President Hinckley was a good man. He did good things, charity, promoting a healthy lifestyle, and he inspires millions of people across the world. Is there any part of you that truly feels it was acceptable to broadcast your opinions after such a tragedy? Um, let me just say this. He was 97, and it wasn't a tragedy. Uh, anytime someone goes, it's sad, but that's not a tragedy. A tragedy is, I won't even define it. Uh, another thing is, is there's not one bit of me that regrets the way I handled the passing of Gordon B. Hinckley. I said as a man, he was a good man, and as a person who did good things, he outweighs me far than it, probably my whole life com ever combined. But he still taught false doctrine. And whether he died yesterday or died 20 years ago, he taught those millions of people you said he influenced for good to believe things that are wrong. So I know that in this age of political correctness and never being down on anybody or anything, that it's not real popular in the circles that you hang in, but too bad. All right, so uh, let's go to Ray in Ogden. Ray, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, my friend, how are you tonight? Good, how you doing, Ray? I'm doing all right, okay. I had an interesting thing to ask you about. And okay, I'm not LDS, okay, but one thing that just really shamed me was uh, when Hinckley died. Uh-huh. We had people actually protesting his funeral. Oh. There's only one group that I can think of that would do that, and that probably wound up being Baptist. But, I mean, I just wanted to get your opinion on that, because it's like they're giving the rest of us a bad name. 
How mean, do you protest a funeral? What are you protesting against? That he died? <laughs> what, what are they protesting at the funeral? Yeah, I mean, they said uh, they, they accused, okay, and this is funny because you actually just touched up on this, but they accused the, the church of being a gay church because they said that Hinckley said God loves everybody. Oh. Well, last time I checked, that was true, right? God yeah. loves all of us. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gay either, but I mean, you know, it just, it just. I'm glad you clarified that, Ray. <laughs> uh, the entire studio audience was under the impression that, you know, you were swinging both ways. <laughs> no, it just, it, it just kind of boggles my mind because it's like, you know, I, you know, I consider myself to be, you know, to be Christian, but you know, I would never, in a million years, think of calling myself a Baptist. Yeah. I mean, what's wrong with these people? You know what? I, I agree with you. There are people who think I'm that way, that I would be, do the same, because we, what we do on the show is pretty in-your-face. But I don't get that at all. I do not. I've never gotten it. I've never gotten why they do that. They say horrible things out there, horrible things. And uh, I don't – if it was effective and it made people say, wow, they really love me as a Christian, then – Yeah, they love <laughs> Yeah. So I think you're absolutely right. It's insane. I wish somebody would just, well, I can't say that because it wouldn't be Christian, but I was going to say punch them out. I know what you mean, but, I mean, I'm feeling the same way. Yeah. I mean, okay, I can I can say this. I mean, I'm sure Hinckley was a great man to the church. Right. I mean, as far as, like, making advancements for Christianity, well, okay, I can't say that. Right. I mean, you know, the guy was a good man. He led a good life. Why bash him? Well, yeah, I don't bash him as a man, but I bash him as a prophet because. Oh no, I completely agree with you there, my friend. I completely yeah. agree with you. I think it's. Uh, I think what you're doing is right and just, and I think what you're doing is, is true, and it's from the heart. And Thanks, I think man. You know what you're talking about, and <laughs> I think you're doing a lot of good, for you know, for the, for the most of us out there. But I mean, it's just like wow. I mean, like I said, it's just like you know, that's the reason why I'm glad I'm just non-denominational. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Thanks, Ray. Great call. All right, my friend. You have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. We're going to Bruce. Uh, no, actually, we're going to go to Russ in Taylorsville. First-time caller. Russ, you're on Heart of the Matter. Good evening. I uh, was really surprised to see you show the diagram from the Family Home Evening Manual really? uh, with the man and woman and the offspring. Yeah. I grew up in the church, uh, mission, temple marriage, all that, and I had never actually heard that doctrine taught any time and only knew about it because I had overheard my father come home from church uh, and he was a new convert and he uh, asked my mother about it because he couldn't believe that someone would actually teach that. Huh. I'm wondering how come in uh, 40 years of being in the church I've never heard this doctrine publicly announced like that until now. So if we go back 40 years, when was that, 60s? Uh, I was born in 59. You were born in 59, so you became kind of cognitive around 72, 71. Uh, you know, maybe you, maybe they started de-emphasizing that. That was in the 72 manual. I remember it being taught. Um, but, uh, you know, and that's also geographical. Maybe there's certain areas where some things are taught more than others. And you can miss some things, uh, you know. But it definitely was taught. Why you missed it, I don't know. I mean, I consider myself really quite active and had never uh, heard that, never heard it in seminary. And wow. this is here in Utah. Wow. Uh, down in Utah County. Never well, heard it. McConkie, he verified uh, what everything, which was in the 70s and, and 80s, I believe 80s, uh, everything that Brigham Young taught on it. 
and and he just said, hey, it's the, the way a man impregnates a woman, that's how Heavenly Father impregnated Mary. It essentially, it was like that. And I'll get the quotes if someone doesn't believe it. But check out, go to UTLM and see what they have to say. But I think they'll give you the data showing dates that, that were 1970s, 80s, where things were said. Okay, excellent. Oh, and by the way, I uh, uh, met somebody from Jefferson City, Missouri, who absolutely could not believe that the Mormons believed that the Garden of Eden was actually there in Jackson County, knowing what he knows about Jackson County. So I find that funny. That's great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. I think next week, I'm, I may be presumptuous in saying this, but I think next week we're going to be in a position to make an announcement that's going to be really great. It's going to be fun. So uh, stay tuned for that. We're not done. I'm going to take another call. But look forward to next week. Pray for us. We hope it can come together. But it's going to be a, a, a good announcement, and we've been working on it for a while. All right, we are going to Bruce, line one in Kaysville. Bruce, you're on Heart of the Matter. You have one minute, Bruce. Hi, Sean. Hi. Uh, hi, Amy. Uh, forgive my voice. I listen to give you a little bit of background. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, my six-year-old son came up to me and said, "Dad, you're going to baptize me, right?" And uh, so I, I dove into it. And uh, you know, I was raised LDS, but you know, fell away. And it was mainly because of the people. They're cruel people. Um, some of them. And, and I, you know, I read all the prophetical books, Jesus the Christ, and then I read this book that was given to me the first thousand years. I don't know if you've read it. Skousen? Yes. And I got right to the part where it described where the Garden of Eden was, and I had a laugh out loud <laughs> moment. And it was like, oh, my, I'm an intelligent person. Give me a break. I can't, you know, please. Yeah. You know, and, and my poor son, you know, he was so disappointed that, that you know, I didn't, I didn't become an elder. Oh. And, and I didn't baptize him. Uh, and he did get baptized. But, you know, it, it's cruel. I mean, you know, I, I, my family's deep in this. Uh, you know, my original relative to this day was Dominicus Carter. Wow. Uh, and five wives, 50-some-odd kids, and it, it's, it's deep in my roots, and it, it, was, and it was. It was a cruel experience. Well, I'm glad you uh, that, that opened your eyes, Bruce. Great call. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, God bless you. Bye-bye. Gail and Roy and Curtis and Woods Cross and the others who are on the lines, I'm sorry we're out of time. Um, there are different things. Listen, if Joseph was able in all seriousness to propagate an idea that the Garden of Eden was in Missouri and that, that Noah left uh, that Adam on Diamond area, built an ark, flowed down one of the rivers to the, to the uh, Gulf of Mexico and out across the Atlantic Sea and reestablished Israel. I mean, come on. If he taught that, it's saying there's a lot of things he taught that were not right. We want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to come to understand who he is. We teach him on this station. You can get a Bible. You can go to any church that teaches the Bible and learn about him. Have you been born again? When you are, your eyes open to all this stuff, and you become free, and you become less of a captive to religion. We pray that happens. Until then, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Ah! They're wild. 
Oh, great. A new tradition has started. All right, who's I...